0: The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lunn and me, Rob Davids. Um, this week, we are covering uh, the start of a brand new Dresden book, uh, book three, Grave Peril. Uh, we're also going to be doing a, a bit of paranetworking, uh, looking at... Uh, all the run up to Battleground, uh, which is going to be, uh, that, which is the, the brand new Dresden Files book and uh, has had various different shenanigans going on um, over the last couple of weeks to get everyone hyped up for it. Um, not that we could be much more hyped. Um, so, yeah, um, I think that's that, that's pretty much us for today. Uh, so we'll kick off with our para-networking segment. Um, Rob, do you want to talk a bit about the uh, battleground trailer? Yeah, um, they dropped. I can't even remember when it was released.
1: Give me a moment. Uh, the trailer came out. I think it was start of last week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was about September eighth. Yeah, I'll double check that real quick just to make sure I'm not chatting shit. Um, yeah, September seventh. So yeah, eighth, seventh, same day, really, isn't it? be honest
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um time,
1: yeah the book trailer dropped last week and it's a weird one because i think i think uh priscilla spencer the director confirmed uh with the peace talks trailer that they used some footage that was saved for the battleground trailer and i'd completely forgotten that that would even be an idea or something we'd get so yeah it, it was a really cool thing to wake up to that morning. Um I know it oh man it's so much more action packed I guess like everything is just more I mean if if you've read peace talks you know that everything is going to be scaled up to like 11 going into battleground and the trailer definitely kind of reinforces that uh, what did you think about it hmm.
0: Yeah it really has that quality of like uh um I, I had a I think maybe like the, last, the last two Harry Potter films is probably a good way to put it, where, like, the first one was all the build-up and then the second one was, like, the Battle of Hogwarts and everything yeah. kicking off. Um, and it feels like all the groundwork and build-up has been done in Peace Talks. Uh, and now we have... Uh, this is just going to be an epic blockbuster of a book. Um, and this trailer gives you that exact feeling. Um I after after having watched this trailer I am almost certain that there is going to be um character deaths. Yeah. Definitely. Um I also got the feeling that Dresden might not come out of this unscathed. Um I think he'll he will probably survive it because it is the Dresden Files and this is not the final book. Um but I think he is going to be seriously wounded, and I think a lot of the magical community is going to be wounded. Yeah, um, and also the scale just from the trailer, I think this is going to be uh, an event that like shakes up the whole Dresden world. So, kind of what I'm wondering is if this is the Empire Strikes Back, if you like, of the Dresden Files, where. Um, the magical world is going to hit really hard against those that kind of guard the line between the nether nether and magical world and the mortal material world and whether, um, the good guys like Dresden are going to lose. And we're going to have a couple of books of kind of Dresden, Murphy and whoever else has left. Um, as like an underground resistance force almost and then the big finale will be the final fight back yeah. yeah um but we'll we'll have to see um i'm very excited to see where where jim goes with this um but it looks it looks like a tough one and um oh, there's just there's so many great little like moments in that trailer like all of the the magical community all like lined up ready for battle is amazing. Um, there's a great moment where you see um, Ebenezer, Dresden, and Ramirez all like um, arming up their spells. Yeah, um, uh, which I thought was very cool. Um, but yeah, I think this the the other thing that really got me about it is that this feels like Dresden on almost like a an Avengers or superhero level scale. Yeah, it's it's kind of got that sim- similar feel to the first Avengers film where it's like they've got to protect the city. Yeah, I mean, for so the deal, something that's got me excited from the
1: trailer. There's a scene in it where Harry's like lying on the ground and he's witnessing um, I still can't pronounce the name, but the the, the Titan person, like being all like Titanian stuff, and um, like the the character that kind of like grabs Dresden is like we got to go now is uh Marcone.
0: Yeah. And I'm just like, "Oh yes. We're we're getting some good stuff here." <laughs> I would I would love it to see Marco and Dresden become closer. I'm I'm hoping that's what we get with this
1: going into Battleground and onwards we get some more unlikely alliances, I guess. Like I would love for um uh Mavra, the Black Court vampires to come back. And yeah just because we're expecting a bit of a beat down between her and Dresden, I would love for her to shove and be like there's 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 enough you know
0: we i i'm yeah
1: <laughs>
0: I'll help you i kind of, I kind of like the the classic like um it, it, you see it more in anime, but it's like no one kills the protagonist, but me mm. <laughs> kind of trope of maverick just being like I'm the one who's gonna kill Dresden. Fuck off. That that um line from
1: Wolverine Origins where Sabretooth says, No one gets to kill you but me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that that sort of situation. Um I would I would very much enjoy that. Um but yeah, it, it's just really interesting and, and um I'm interested to see who survives this. I've got I've got pretty low hopes for the Knights of the Cross. Yeah. Just because they're a bit too happy, and I get the feeling that if we're going down a dark path, which it really feels like we are, they can't be hanging around for that long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it It feels weird that they
1: were brought up in Peace Talks, and then, like, for Butters doing the training with the lightsaber thing. Um, yeah. I'm expecting that to play a big part in it, but I don't know if that's just kind of um, a classic ruse, <laughs> I guess. Where like we're <laughs> expecting that to be like you know, the weapon that ends it and then it turns out to be, I don't know, Santa comes back
0: or whatever. Bad or wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that would also be interesting. He is still in the picture at this point, right? Yeah,
1: him he he was sat across from
0: the dragon Feravax at the piece. Yeah. There. And and a thing who was like You've fallen so far kind of deal. Yeah, you used to be gods, but now you're hanging out with Marcon Immortal and shit like that. Yeah. Cool. And and yes, I really want to see a great Ferrovax fighting moment. That I mean, give me uh, that and I will be happy. I, I think that's coming. It can even be a throwaway line and I'll be happy, so... Another thing that I can see kind of down the unlikely alliance, this thing is that maybe there'll be some stuff with Ferravax here that will set up some sort of dragon plot line to pick up while like uh, Dresden and such maybe have to go underground and maybe they need to get dragon allies. I don't know. That could be something. I, I'd be um, up. Which, Yeah, Yeah, that, that would be really cool. Uh, cause I can see dragons obviously being a big threat to, uh, a thin there in that lots of, lots and lots of possibilities. Um, and I just hope to God, th- there's some characters that I really want to survive. Um, I would love Michael to survive. I would love, uh, Molly to survive. Yeah. But I've got a feeling that either Molly Murphy or Michael is at stake here. Yeah. Um, I'm putting um, my money on Murphy. And
1: I think it's just because her and Harry are fine in like, Peace Talks. We've got them kind of where they've been heading to for the last maybe decade in the series. And I feel like that's too good mm-hmm. of a thing for Dresden to have.
0: Yeah. The only, the only other way I can see it going is Murphy getting a big power upgrade.
1: Yeah, I would expect
0: a death then her to come back in some way. Yeah. Which or 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 the opposite way around like she she gets some sort of super upgrade but it like burns her out. Yeah. I could see I could see going down that route which would be interesting. Um yeah. Uh so this is uh there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation to to be had. Uh, it is not long at all now. It is uh, the the release is on the twenty ninth of September. I think it's on uh, which today. is I believe it is. Yeah, it's about two weeks today. Um, so we will probably be doing something similar to how we did last time, where we'll devour the books over a couple of days and then do some uh, do a little bit of non spoilery chat during one of our episodes and. A bit of a spoilery chat, uh, as like a bonus episode, I imagine. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm thinking. So, yeah, cool. Um, awesome. Right, so that is that. Uh, there's a couple of other cool bits that you can find on the Jim Butcher website as well. Uh, Jim's been doing the rounds with various talks and panels. Um, some with other writers, some with fans. Uh. Pretty much um, all of them have some great little tidbits about Dresden Files. Um, definitely, definitely worth checking out if you're feeling the Dresden Fever, uh, which I think everyone kind of is right now waiting for the the next book to come out. Um, and Jim also has a, a, a Battleground uh, virtual book tour going on um that will all kick off after the release of the book um some of them are ticketed events some of them are non-ticketed events some of them come with signed copies some of them don't check it all out on Jim Butcher's website and you'll be able to find that all um and yeah um it is a good time to be a Dresden fan talking about the knights of the cross uh and such um we have a brand new book in the Dresden Files book club this week woo, woo! um so we are moving on from full moon uh to grave peril and before we start talking about the actual chapters and everything and the reading and stuff um just a i guess a bit of introduction on on our thoughts of Grave Peril going into it?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes.
0: So to you, Rob, what is Grave Peril in the series? How do you remember it from when you read it last? I think
1: this was the book that kind of completely won me over as a fan. Like, this started my <laughs> my very deep obsession into Dresden Files for a good, like, eight months. Um off the back of this book, I bought a leather trench coat, the board game, the RPG. Jesus Christ, oh my God! Like this book was just. It was the start of everything, really. Yeah, I mean, from
0: <laughs> from chapter
1: one right through to the. I think I read it in about two days. Like I was reading it on the way to work, during my breaks at work, on the way home from work, and like as soon as I got in from work as well. And I think I finished it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Two days, if that.
0: I have a very vivid memory of um and I haven't I haven't done this for years and, and I kind of I really want to actually now thinking about it. Um of just spending an entire day sprawled out on like a, a, a rug, I think it was at my parents. Yeah. And just reading from start to finish this book. Uh, starting it, like, as soon as I got out of bed and through to the end of the day, and it was absolutely incredible. It's great. It's a great experience to have that. Oh, man. I think I bought it on the way to
1: work as well. Like, there's, um, <laughs> yeah, there's, like, a second-hand bookshop near the train station where I used to hop on the train for work. Um, I went in there just on the off chance, oh, maybe they'll have uh, the third Dresden book. And I think I left with books... Three, four, five, and
0: six. <laughs> it's very easily done with Dresden.
1: Yeah, um, it's just kind of like, well, they're all here, and they're all like a quid each, so
0: you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so yeah so I know that this was this was one that really got you into the series, um, and I it has a very similar place for me. Um, I think. This is a particularly strong book for Dresden Files, and it's one of the strong, it's one of the strongest out of the early books. Um, I think most like tier lists or like reviews that I've seen always put this book very highly, and there are a lot of people that say just start with Grave Peril. Um, I'm not sure about that, but
1: um, I'd say that the I feel other like books are a really good introductory to the character, what he's about. Um, and also a few of the side characters like Murphy and uh, Susan. But to me, Grave Peril is like the book that starts off like the main kind of overarching story from here to, I think, changes.
0: Yeah, I I can definitely see that. And I think, um, yeah, I almost feel like books one and two are like a superior origin story. And then now we're getting into like, the, the the weekly issues yeah of that hero um something like that um but I think books one and two are really good for like a a baseline and they set they set the world up really nicely and then this is just kind of goes wild uh, also obviously has many people's favourite character in the Dresden Files first appearance including my, myself Michael Carpenter um. Fist of which, God. I think... sorry, fist of God, the fist of God, uh, he is the Captain America of the Dresden Files, the the Superman. He is awesome, uh, and while um, I, th- I mm, fandom around Michael Carpenter tends to go two ways. I think I think there is a lot of people out there that seem to love him, and there is a lot of people out there that seem to think he could be quite boring. <laughs> um but i'm very much in the in the love him camp pretty interesting um, question regarding michael
1: carpenter is um and it is it's one that i feel we've debated for like however long i've been into the series but who who do you envision in your head playing Mark, michael carpenter
0: <sighs> oh that's a tough one <laughs> um i do do you have someone in mind while I think? Uh, yeah, I've got <laughs> two people in mind. Um,
1: I mean, from I think the moment he was introduced, I always had Michael Shannon in my head. Um, I can't recall anything he's been in right now. Uh, he was odd in Man of Steel. Ooh, okay. Um, um... slap a beard on him and he's good to go. But uh, I was watching um Hot Fuzz a couple of days ago. And Timothy Dalton, like the former James Bond actor popped up and I was like, shit with, with with the way his beard is at that point with like kind of the salt and pepper beard. I was just thinking like, Man, yeah. I can see you crusading around town with like a big ass sword.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, one that I'm going to put out. Um, it, it's also in the, the James Bond wheelhouse. Um, I can definitely see um the older Piers Brosnan. Yeah. Uh, just just because he's he's got that, that look of uh an aging handsome like warrior. Um, I guess. Um and another one that's just come up as well in the in the search that I've been looking at, um Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh, that'd be a very good choice. Uh, that would be very interesting. That would be a very different Michael Carpenter to Piers Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, and this is this is a bit just because I want him and everything, but if you wanted to do colourblind casting, I would love to see um, Idris Elba. Oh, that would be good as well. As a Michael Carpenter. Because um, I could definitely... I could see Idris pulling it off really well.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, but I could also see him maybe as like Sanya, but then Sanya's a bit younger. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Um but yeah, I think I think it's gotta be someone that can pull off the kind of salt and pepper look. They've gotta be a bit aging, but they've got to look like they were once like a a dashing knight, I guess. Yeah. Um and I could definitely see it with all with all of those actors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. So Michael Carpenter, big part of this book. Uh, also, we get into a good bit of uh, vampire stuff. Um, now, my recollection is this is the one that has the vampire party. Yeah. Yeah. Towards the end. Yeah. So we get. Um, The introduction of a lot of big Dresden Files characters. We get Ferrovax, we get Mavra, we get um, the Wraith family, and specifically Thomas Wraith. Um, There is a lot of big, big, big characters um, that all get introduced here. And that party sequence and how it all plays out is absolutely incredible.
1: Agreed. Oh my god. I'm excited.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Let's let's dive in. So, uh, just very quickly, last time on Dresden Files. Uh, so um, now we've done Stormfront and Full Moon. Uh, so Stormfront, Harry Dresden gets set up, uh, fights uh, an evil, dark wizard, uh, kind of a dark reflection of himself, uh, and defeats him. Uh, along the way, we meet Susan Rodriguez, a reporter for the Chicago Arcane, uh, and Karen Murphy, who uh, tries to arrest Dresden and also uh, on and off sees him as kind of a partner and helps him. Uh, so it, it depends by uh, the the week or even just the the prevailing wind which way Murphy feels about Dresden in the first two books. Um, Full moon, moving on. Uh, Murphy and Dresden try to kind of uh, get a bit more in lockstep with each other, um, trust each other a bit more. Dresden finds out about all the different types of werewolves, uh, lots of different types of werewolves. Um, Turns out that the FBI themselves are werewolves. Who knew? Uh, Dresden and a, a group called the Alphas, who are kind of good werewolves, uh go to battle against the FBI uh who are trying to manipulate um a kind of super werewolf called a loop guru uh into uh murdering uh mobster Johnny Marco, and who was also introduced in that first book uh who is the the mobster king of Chicago if you like. Uh Dresden and Murphy uh kind of on again, off again on whether to trust each other uh and eventually settle on that they're gonna trust each other. Um, and Murphy will trust that sometimes there are things that Dresden can say, but Dresden will also try to say more to Murphy. Um, uh, Susan Rodriguez, again, recurring character, her and Dresden get a little bit closer um, in this book. Um, I think uh, that's, that about covers it, would you yeah. say? So that's uh, that's where we are. And that takes us to... Uh, grave peril. Um, and Rob, do you want to give us the first four chapters? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Cool. <laughs> uh,
1: chapter one, we begin with uh, Harry and the Blue Beetles speeding across Chicago. We have none other than his little colleague, Michael Carpenter. Um. Yeah, so we're off to a pretty good start there with all adrenaline pumping action, a uh, bit of a car chase. They are being tailed by the police. Um. And Michael starts asking Harry, you know, D- do you love Susan? And we get into a bit of bit of banter, I guess, between the two about that, which results in Harry eventually, probably just saying it to get Michael to shut up, is that he does love Susan. Um, in any case, Harry and Michael stop at the Cook County Hospital. Um, they park up, and we get a, quite a funny scene where they run into an orderly and. They're they're like armed to the teeth for them. You got you got Harry and like the wizard staff, the blasting rod, trench coat. Um, Michael with like a big ass sword in a, a sheath thing. Can't remember what they're called, and the big ass like cloak. And they just walk up to this guy and they're like, "Where's the children's ward?" <laughs> but yeah, they head up from there to like the children's ward slash the nursery, and that leads us into chapter two. Where Harry and Michael confront the ghost of a murderer named Angela Hagglethorne, who killed her who was a victim of abuse herself, and as a result killed her child and her husband, and is now kind of feeding feeding off the children in some kind of way, I guess. Um mm-hmm. we get a bit of information on. The ghosts of Chicago are all in a bit of a s- state at the moment. Uh, we're not really sure why yet, but hey, we're only at the start of the book, can't have all the answers yet. Um, yeah, Dresden and Carpenter f- think that they have defeated the spirit. Um, man, they get really harsh about it. Like they, I-, I guess, being the ghost, it's kind of not really aware of its actions or why it's there, and they state, you know, these aren't your children, it's not your nursery, you're dead. You killed your husband, mm-hmm. your child, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the ghost kind of freaks out and disappears. And they think, you know, it just fled back to the Never Never, we're probably fine. But then all the children on that ward stop breeding. And then it's up to Harry and Michael, as ever, they decide that they must go into the Never Never and destroy Hagglethorn for good. Um... Harry is a bit skeptical initially of going into the never never to because he's trying to avoid running into his godmother and we'll have more on that shortly. Uh with chapter 3 this really threw me actually on the cuz I was listening to the audiobook and I was like doing stuff around the house at the time yeah. and I honestly thought it just skipped a chapter. But uh <laughs> with chapter 3 we get the back to uh, early that morning on the same day with um Dresden and Susan having a bit of banter over the ghost case. Uh, Harry Harry states that you know, almost almost tells her that he loves her and all that kind of stuff, vice versa as well. Um,
0: Yeah, I think there's. Yeah, they they kind of stop just short. It's very like emotional edging. Yeah, (laughs) I think no one wants
1: to say it. I think there was a bit there. In reference to that, he accidentally stood her up as well. Not intentionally, but I guess she's understanding about it, given his line of work. Um, mm-hmm. She There's a nice little line, like a bit of banter between them, which is her saying, you stood me up last night. Any other man would not be given a second chance. Um, I quite yeah. like that, but uh, yeah. Um, and at this point, another woman comes into Harry's office and requests his help. And then we roll into chapter four, and the woman is a practitioner of magic called Lydia. And she claims to, mm-hmm. aff- ugh, claims to be afflicted with something called Cassandra's tears, which allows her to see the future. She claims to have seen some spirits kill her, yeah, cool. and that she needs Harry's help to escape them. Harry has a lot of doubts, because I know, I, I guess that kind of form of clairvoyance is just kind of... I guess more looked look down upon as being more of a circus trick or like fortune tellers and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, so Harry kind of has his doubts, but in any case, he gives her the address of St. Mary of the Angels, which is a church. Uh, I don't know if it's run by, but uh, Father Forthill, Hill, who becomes a pretty big character throughout, not only this book, but the series. Um, He's mm-hmm. kind of like the refuge sanctuary, I guess, but he'll help out anyone. Who needs help um so Dresden gives her the address for father H- Fort hill's place as well as his charm bracelet and you know that's going to haunt him in the next chapter um yeah that, <laughs> that brings us pretty much to the end i wait i tell a lie the chapter ends with us going back to the present as harry and michael begin to go into the never never and
0: that is where we finish chapter four yeah. Uh, so, wow. What a start. It absolutely just kicks in um, super, super fast. Um, so h- how did you find it, uh, man? I mean, I, I think we were saying before,
1: uh, just before we started recording, um, at the time... reading when I first started reading this book, it was it's the only one I've read as like a prose novel at this point. And I was a bit worried after reading the first two especially as graphic novels, I was a bit worried that I'd go into this and not enjoy it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was wrong and I loved every moment of it. And I I it was great to kind of relive that nostalgia, I suppose. Because as soon as we went into like the opening line I was just sat there in my chair, fist pumping, going "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> um, I'm, I'm still reeling from that because I'm. I just love Brave Peril.
0: It's there is there is something very almost quite visceral about that, that start. It's like everything is just. It's like oh oh shit, we're in it again within the first paragraph. Yeah. Um, which is is absolutely awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, I think this is one of one of the most memorable openings to a Dresden book.
1: I think um, that, for me,
0: what made it memorable actually, is I'm I'm very into Stephen
1: King and just horror in general, and I think to my memory, um, of this book and all the other books we've had this is definitely the most memorable opening and maybe the most disturbing.
0: Oh, man. Like, I was going to touch on this. Angela Hagglethorn is actually a really freaky Dresden monster. Yeah. Um, That moment where, like, Harry and Michael are like, oh, it's over, it's over. And then Harry's like, the children all start going quiet. And then I realised that one by one they were stopping breathing. Or whatever, like along those lines. It's like, oh my god, that's it's so gothic, it's so terrifying, yeah. and the whole backstory as well about Angela Hagarthorn that she accidentally killed her child uh, and then purposely killed her um, her husband is is really dark. Yet all it says is silence fell, all the little babies hushed. Yeah, um, and and then you're like, oh no. <laughs> Um. Also, like the the inner DM within me loves the idea of a wizard and a knight. Like their party is starting to form.
1: Gosh, I've never realized that or made that connection before, but. No, knowing like all the other caster characters as well, you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah, like it's. There's just there's something really night, uh, really cool about a wizard and a knight being allies. And then, yeah, the the other characters that end up uh, becoming staples in the Dresden Files, all of them are, are kind of various sort of classic tropes um, brought into the world of Dresden Files one way or another, yeah. uh, which is really really cool. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, uh. It, Angela Hagelhorn is uh terrifying and um i think yeah that makes it makes such a, a massive impact um i would really like to see jim butcher do a horror story same like straight up um
1: i mean i guess this is as close as it gets because i know it's got the whole vampire red court stuff during but from what i remember the angela Hagglethorn is a bigger not a bigger presence, like her. I think there's the mention of uh, the ghost being a bit unsettled and stuff in the graveyards, and there's more. I think that's the bigger mystery of the book. And I feel if that was the only yeah. focus, it probably would have been more straight up horror. But I don't think I can really delve any more into what I remember without possibly spoiling, like, or spoiling. Yeah, the so that's fair. As we go along, <laughs> I'll go more into it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, I think, uh, the, the Jim can do horror and, uh, he definitely demonstrates it here. Um, you also were showing me before the show that there was a, an illustration of Angela Hagglethorne. Yeah. Um, that's used, Do you say it was in the card game? I'm pretty sure. Sh- I know I've seen it before.
1: So it's either the card game or it's in like Dresden Files Accelerated
0: yeah and um while it does give a little spoiler, uh the actual illustration of her is pretty terrifying, yeah um, and there's just something as well like it's it's that very like gothic horror thing of like especially if something is interfering with babies, yeah um, it just adds like that extra layer of this is really wrong, yeah, I mean, as we all know,
1: babies can't really defend themselves so yeah I guess it just adds to the tension of (laughs) the opening
0: there's a really fun bit with that as well where um Mike like Dresden puts his finger in one of the baby's mouths I think I think it's more that like he picks up a baby and the baby starts chewing on his finger yeah and then Michael like He's like, take your finger out of his mouth. Your, your your hands are dirty. We've just been fighting, and you just see a little bit of Michael being a dad. Yeah. Um, which I thought that like obviously we know that he's a he's a father and a father to several children, but at this point you don't know that. But it just it's a nice little hint that he he is a dad and is aware of like how to how to act to our own children.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Speaking um, of Michael
1: Carpenter. Yeah, Your first major appearance of the band himself.
0: Like, how did you find it? Yeah, so um, I completely forgot about the conversation that they had about Susan. Um, so I guess the really cool thing about Microcaptor throughout the Dresden Fast series is more than anyone else, really. I mean, maybe Bob? Question mark. Michael's Dresden's longest running friend. Um and Dresden will tell Michael just about anything? Yeah. Um there are, there are a few tiny things that Dresden won't go into with Michael mostly because Michael's extremely holy and does not want to uh, and Dresden does not want to let him down or disappoint him in any way. Yeah. Um but for the, for the most part, uh, yeah, he he's an open book to Michael. And that represents um, a really interesting dynamic for Dresden because Dresden does not trust many people. And we immediately see here Dresden talking about something that he would not talk to anyone else about ever. <laughs> um, like his feelings, his relationship. Um, and it just immediately kind of shows you, showing without telling, they really uh, that Dresden holds this person in extremely high regard um, and you also get the feeling because there's a bit where uh Dresden basically says like I don't need you to give me that lecture again and about dark powers about m- me not um opening myself up enough to people and stuff like that um, and you get the feeling that obviously they've had a long relationship um partly a long working relationship but partly a long. Uh, friendly and emotion and uh, an emotional work, uh, relationship, which is absolutely awesome uh, and and just I think it really gets Michael um, inducted into the inner circle of Dresden within a chapter instead of it taking a while or feeling forced. I think it's done really really well. How uh, how did you find it? I really enjoyed it like again I forgot about
1: that initial conversation as well and I I remember at the time uh when I first read this thinking that I like uh just from that conversation alone it's unlike any of his previous relationships we've had in the book so far like you say even even with Murphy there's a lot he didn't tell her at the start and stuff like that so he's uh, i I don't know he like he's not like you say he's not trusting and all that kind of stuff, whereas something he mentioned that I think Michael brings up is um he brings up Elaine, and yeah Harry's response is we don't talk about Elaine or something to that effect and i I think that's yeah probably the best sign of their relationship and how strong their friendship is as well because i if, if I remember right up until this point. Um, Elaine has been mentioned, I think, but only by Dresden, and usually in like his inner monologue. Like oh, I've not felt this way since Elaine, or the
0: last time. Yeah, it happened only only within his inner monologue. Yeah, uh, he doesn't. He had mentioned it to Susan or Murphy or anyone like that. And I think that's something I that drew me
1: in instantly is that we've got like he he's got some he's got a colleague with him who's you know clearly got quite a really close friendship with and the fact that jim butcher manages to establish that in like just that one conversation in the first couple of pages at the start of the book is i know surely a testament to his writing at this point and how much he's grown as a writer
0: oh definitely like i mean this first chapter can't be much over two thousand words um and within it I would even say maybe less than that. Uh, Within it, we get who Michael is, what his relationship is to Dresden, um, what they like about each other, what they don't like about each other, bones of contention between them. um, And we also get the setup for what's going on. um, And it's all done with showing, Mm. um, which even some of the best authors uh in the world have problems with at times yeah so really really incredible um I, I there's also a few lines in here that i just love like i'm a wizard i don't have time to be married yeah <laughs> and then michael responding i'm a knight and i have time <laughs> it plays
1: into that band
0: <laughs> yeah um and and it's stuff like that as well. Like uh also that the, they talk about like each of their like clothes for battle. Yeah.
1: Um
0: yeah. and like Dresden's having a go at Michael and then uh Michael <laughs> uh Michael says uh it's no more ridiculous than the coat that you wear. Uh and Dresden's kind of like, What's wrong with it? And then Michael just replies it belongs on the set of El Dorado. <laughs> um which just immediately ingratiates you into you, like I just love Michael and you just get that feeling um that he's he's a good uh equal to dresden yeah um so yeah it's uh, very very it, it's just a great way to introduce a character i think uh and I think it's done very very well um which brings me on to my next point here's the first time we really get into Harry Dresden. And religion? Yeah. Uh, And religion in the Dresden Files and I think maybe even some of Jim Butcher's thoughts on religion. Um, So, religion exists. uh, Christianity definitely exists within uh, the world of Dresden Files. Uh, Christian uh, Christian mythology exists. uh, And Michael Carpenter is able to draw Power from his faith in a way that Dresden is able to draw power from magic. Um, I guess uh, my question to you would be: kind of, do you think that that fits in this world? And uh, do you think it's a strength of the series? Um, Um, Yeah. I think it does. And I think what it reminded me
1: of, and I'm sure I texted you this, like when I read this opening chapter at the time, which was that. I enjoyed the dynamic because it reminded me of uh, Supernatural the TV show. And yes. I kind of liked it. Like when I think it was season 4 of Supernatural was when they introduced angels and all that kind of stuff and a lot of Christian mythology. And it reminded me a lot of that and we get more of it as the book goes on. But um it's similar to so similar to how the brothers in Supernatural view it, I guess is they've seen their fair share of like demons and stuff like that and know that that exists whereas with God and with what Michael says to them and what Castiel says to them in to the boys in Supernatural is always kind of like you know just have faith and I mean I don't know what your thoughts on religion are but I personally struggle to have faith in something that I can't I don't know see or feel physically if that makes sense
0: yeah i th- i think um dresden's relationship to religion really opens up uh how a, how i think a lot of people feel about religion and myself included which is that uh if there if there is a plan or if there is a um if there is someone guiding things um then there are some parts of the plan that are giving up a lot or causing a lot of pain um, and how does that greater being or that greater plan account for that, weigh that up, uh, make sense of it. Um, And I think Michael Carpenter would say that the outcome of the plan or the outcome of destiny um, is worth every sacrifice. Yeah, And I think Dredgen would say that maybe it isn't um, or he doesn't know if it is or it isn't. Uh, that's that's kind of the agnostic um view, I guess. Yeah. Uh and it's uh yeah, I, I it's it's really interesting and and it's from a place that like I, I didn't go into grave peril expecting to think about religion. Um I think it would be really easy for Jim Butcher to sidestep it completely. And just be like, oh yeah, like Michael's faith is just another sort of magic. Um but he we we go we go through and religion is a real thing and and we never at least not yet in the Dresden Files, there has never been an appearance made by the one Christianic uh Christian god. Yeah. Uh, not Christianic. Um uh <laughs> <laughs> I, the uh, there hasn't been an appearance by them, but there has been an appearance by angels um who have referenced that um God is there uh is is in the Dresden files universe uh and has got a plan going on and stuff and uh dresden um as we'll see in later books I'm sure we'll come back to the talking about this really has issues with some of them, yeah. Um, so yeah, I I think religion the Dresden Files is is fascinating to me.
1: I mean, luckily it's it's one of those topics we'll definitely come back to because, like you say, it's brought up. I think with every Michael appearance or maybe every appearance from the Knights of the Cross, um, it always dabbles in it a bit. And I think a bit of a spoiler, I guess, for one of the later books, there's one of the Knights of the Cross who is atheist, which I thought was a really cool and interesting idea. That mm-hmm. I mean, even I think even when he has the sword, knows that angels exist and stuff like that, he's still firmly an atheist.
0: Yeah. Um. So he sees it as that that angels and God are all just otherworldly beings that are able to offer power. Yeah. And they perceive things from a a greater view, but they are not. Necessarily, uh, the be all and end all, I guess, yeah. Um, which is that is really interesting. It's something that, um, I know I I always bring stuff back to Dungeons and Dragons, but, um, I find really interesting when a character in Dungeons and Dragons says that they want to be atheist or I don't have a god or I don't believe in in God because in the world of Dungeons and Dragons gods are provably uh real like gods appear they act they act and they interact with people uh you can call upon a god for power divine intervention is a thing where gods appear um and I think what's really interesting about that is if you then say okay but I'm still not praising or praying to any gods or um I don't believe in any of the gods it's then like okay so you know that these things are real and that they control destiny how do you how does like how does that philosophically work for you and it's kind of the same for, for Dresden like um he knows that God is is real knowing Michael Carpenter you know that God is real uh, but Dresden does not go to church he is not part of any organized religion uh at various points he he has moments where he comes close and then moves further away from it and moves closer uh, but uh it's interesting to see how he he squares that with himself uh and it seems to very much be that he's very skeptical and very cynical yeah um and I think that that makes it so he can't fully believe in it. I can get. i've done a lot of talking that's fine <laughs> <laughs> uh, i do apologize <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we're here to do <laughs> this this is very true uh cool so let's move on to something that's not as deep and philosophical <laughs> um so uh one thing that really took me aback uh was that jim butcher starts the book by talking to you directly um if you listen to this on an audio book yeah, I think the
1: um, I think Full Moon either had an intro or outro by him. I'm not sure if I imagined that or if it was even
0: that book. It might have been Peace Talks. I think it was on. I think there was on Peace Talks, but I think this is the first one. Yeah, to my knowledge. Um, and something really interesting that Jim talks about is how lots of people see this to be the first book in the Dresden Files series, or like the the one that's that you should read first. Yeah, uh, and he says that. In some ways it is the start of a lot of things and in other ways it's a start uh, it's a continuation of, of Stormfront and Full Moon. Pretty much reflecting what we've said as well. Yeah. Um. But I, I think it was really interesting to see it from the short little introduction we get and it's only like a minute or two on the and and I think there might be a written introduction I, but I'm not um, sure.
1: I will have a look anyway. I don't have
0: the book at hand. Yeah. Um, But uh, from the introduction, I get the feeling that Jim is very proud of this.
1: Yeah.
0: Book. Uh, Deservedly so. Um, And I think it really is. It's the one that put Dresden on the map. Definitely.
1: Absolutely. It's. Hmm. I want to see if. there's. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, So we've done that. Uh, we we kind of talked about Cassandra's tears when you were going through it. Yeah. Um, I thought this was just a really cool, like, so something, something that I really enjoy, uh, again, in the Harry Potter series, um, uh, to be clear, enjoy the Harry Potter series, not necessarily the author, uh, especially how she's behaving at the moment, uh, but um, Cassandra's tears is a magical illness. Something I love in Harry Potter is St. Mungo's Hospital where uh, wizards get various different magical ailments and are treated by other wizards. Um, And I think that that's that's something I really like coming in here is Cassandra's tears is an illness uh, that many people get in the Dresden Files universe. There's a a couple of people who have it throughout the series. I can at least think of one other notable character uh, that has it um and uh, essentially what it does is it allows you to see very little snapshots of the future sometimes you can only see really big events sometimes you can only see really small trivial things sometimes you have no control at all what you see um and it can cause some people to kind of have like a seizure uh effect a bit like epilepsy um while they're while they're seeing the vision especially if they're not a very skilled practitioner it kind of ravages their body in various ways um and yeah i just uh i thought that was extremely cool um and i love the natural evolution of that concept that obviously it can't be proven um there's no no one's devised a way to prove who has correct tears and who doesn't because uh, it's something that you receive and then if you're right then I guess you've got it and if not well maybe you were just hallucinating and had epilepsy or something like that uh, uh, and so there's the natural kind of uh, evolution of that that thought process to then go to oh that's really good for scamming people because if you say that you know how something how the outcome of something is going to go then you're able to really influence how people are going to gonna act. If you tell someone that there is no way that they could die in the next 24 hours, yeah. they're going to believe that they are invulnerable and are able to do anything, for instance. Um, so I, uh, I really like that Dresden, it immediately gets his back up because it's like, this is uh, a, a really common um, trick that's played in the magical community.
1: Indeed.
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought that was really cool. Uh, we talked about Angela Hanglethorn.
1: I, I think his doubt is very... I uh, can't even think of the word I'm looking for. Is ju- I think his doubt is justified. If someone came into my room and was like, I can see the future and all this other shit, I wouldn't believe them.
0: I think even if you exist in a world where people can see the future, yeah, there's no way that they can that they can prove to you that they can. It's, yeah, it's very difficult. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I think I would have struggled with that too. <laughs> um. And then yeah, so the last the last kind of point to touch on was just the character of Lydia. Yeah. Um which I thought was brilliant. Uh, I, th- I find her really interesting because um, <laughs> uh, she is a perfect noir damsel in distress. Yeah. Um, she's got that sort of like femme fatale thing where she can like... So so uh, Dresden says we're going to need to work out some sort of payment, I think is what he says. Something to that about. something on the, yeah, and she imme- immediately goes into like flirtatious uh uh like sexual kind of mode and and to- and, he, and he just talks about how her whole like gait and uh stance all like shifts uh as she goes like a bit more like lithe and predatory and feline mm. um and then when dresden doesn't respond to that and she starts talking about the cassandra's tears it talks again about how her body language all shifts towards her being a victim being someone who needs help needs protecting uh someone who is is weak and needs dresden um and i think it it shows as well the power that uh so she it, it is said that she that she has some magical talent but this is something that this person is able to do without any magical means it's just the power of being charismatic and being uh very aware of body language and um i just thought that that was a really cool asset to give this character yeah um also, I I mean something great about Jim Butcher is uh well depending on which way you see it, but personally I think uh it, it does add something. Like he is he, he likes uh to have a story that has a good sense of horror and a good sense of sex and violence and, and there is like a sexual tension to this scene that I think um is very fun. Uh and, and what makes it particularly fun is the way that uh Dresden is just not having it at yeah. all. Um, and partly because he's just been talking to Susan, so that's that's one thing. But also, uh, just completely like, um uh, he's he's been a a hard nosed, uh, hard boiled detective for some time, and he's used to these sort of femme fatales walking into his office. Um. So yeah seriously uh seriously, love that one thing that that really jarred me about her description, yeah. um, just having a look at it now. it's such a tiny, tiny thing, but he describes her hair as asphalt colored, yeah, that stuck out to me as well, so i'm glad I'm glad you wanted that. <laughs> um it's like he was trying to he was trying to come up with like what's something that's pretty much black but a little bit gray, and he was like, hmm. Asphalt. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah, I don't know. I would have gone with like smoky hair or something like that. Yeah. Um, just maybe not drawn as much attention to it. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's especially when because uh, he describes it as asphalt coloured during when she's trying to be very like sexual. Yeah. And and as soon as as soon as you put asphalt into it, I'm just like. Nah, I'm all right. <laughs> um. Oh, I, the other thing I do love as well is when uh, uh, so she she accuses Dresden of being gay because he doesn't want to have sex with her, which uh, obviously shows some immaturity on her part. Uh, yeah. but the the other the other bit that I thought was hilarious is he, so he says. I'm not gay, but I'm not buying what you're selling. You haven't even told me your name, but you're willing to spray your legs for me. No, thanks. Hell's bells. Haven't you heard of AIDS herpes? All <laughs> well, points. Um, very, very fair points. <laughs> uh, but that, that gave me a little chuckle as well. Um, but yeah, I think that is, that's about it for this one. Um We've got some some absolutely explosive chapters coming up, our first view of the never Never, which is um I remember being particularly jaw dropping so uh, I really we, really, really like that. Is we didn't get to talk about
1: it this week, but I mean, if it happened this week, what would we have to talk about next week
0: yeah exactly um i it's that's a good one to get into. The Never Nether, Michael, and uh, Dresden Files and religion might be too much for one week, so it's good yeah. to have <laughs> have a split. Um, fantastic, awesome. Uh, I guess that's uh, that's us for this week. Uh, so, Rob, do you want to do you want to take us out?
1: Uh, yeah, as always, thank you for the support. We've just crossed over one thousand seven hundred downloads, which, as as we keep saying, for such a niche topic, we think that's really impressive. Um and yeah, as per usual, share, follow, subscribe. We're on uh social media, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh you can find the episodes back if you want to backtrack and all that for our episodes. So you've got Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, anywhere else. <laughs> if it's not on there, then let us know and we'll uh we'll make it go on there. Um <laughs> next week we will be covering chapters five, six, seven, and eight of Grave Peril. And yeah, we're well looking forward to it and we hope you guys are too. So uh yeah, crack open a coke. You've been listening to the Paranet podcast with your hosts me, Rob Davis, and Me, Patrick Lern. And we will see you next week. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye bye.